Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley, and I'm her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi and I want to welcome you to Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope, using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, we've got somebody on you know today that you'll be introducing, and she is an expert on family and grief. And we're going to be talking about when a family grieves, because I know that's a big issue of a lot of the audience, how we do that with the families and what we can expect. Absolutely, Mom. And our guest today works a lot with bereaved families. And in fact, I spoke in one of her groups, which was really great. And her name is Jessica Elder. And Jessica is a bereavement manager for the Children's Brain Tumor Foundation. She is a therapist for Revive Counseling and Wellness Center in Scottsdale, Arizona. And she graduated from Columbia University School of Social Work, where I graduated from also. So welcome to the show, Jessica. Thank you, Heidi. Great having you on today. You had a miscarriage, your your first child, right? You have four kids. Yes. Three, five, seven, and nine. You're in the mix, aren't you? Uh, yeah. Back in 2012 was uh, probably, you know, I've had other losses before, but that was my most significant loss. And, you know, I was 11 weeks along and it was my first pregnancy. And, you know, I was very familiar with miscarriage based on supporting other people and hearing about it, but it was my first really personal experience with it. And although it's very different than the type of loss that I work with, it definitely gave me, you know, more insight and more personal experience in terms of being able to support other people and understanding certain aspects of grief. Yeah, it really hits you when it happens to you. I I was kind of an expert in grief and loss when Scott was killed and actually taught it and I was a nurse and covered a surgical service. And wow, when it happened to me, it's like, whoa, woody, whoa. So. It's, it's very different. Yep. Yeah. And I would think, Jessica, I also had a miscarriage and my heart goes out to you. And I've had two. Having the miscarriage first, I would think that when you got pregnant the second time around, and now you have four kids now, it would be very anxiety provoking. I'm wondering if you were worried and thought, what if this I lose this pregnancy? It was very, very anxiety provoking. Um, And at the same time, I do think I was able to just kind of, you know, realize that there's certain things that I can't control. But of course, I thought about it all of the time. And my doctors actually made me feel really good, though. They told me that if I was ever nervous, I could come in, they would check me, Um, you know, just they gave me a lot of reassurance, they checked my blood work more often. And that definitely helped. Um, Mm -hmm. But you know, I do know people who've suffered two, three, even more. Mm -hmm. And there's also that yeah. anxiety about what's ahead of you. Are you going to have any more problems? So it was a lot of anxiety for sure. And will you ever be able to have a baby? And will, oh. I mean, the other thing that, is, and I know you, you work with bereaved parents and what's interesting about miscarriages is that I think that they can be very minimized because there, there isn't a physical child. Mm-hmm. So people can kind of minimize that. And I mean, with the husbands even more, with the dads even more, but did you find, did you get support? Did you find support around that? Or did you feel like people didn't really acknowledge your loss? It was a little bit of both. I actually had some friends who had already had a miscarriage and it was just so 
nice to be able to connect with somebody who had been through it. That was, that was just so important for me. Um, it made a huge difference. And then of course I ran into people who didn't quite understand. And there's a lot of people who just don't understand that for a lot of moms, you know, the, the moment that you look at your pregnancy test, you start that attachment and, um, and it's kind of hard to explain that. And when mm -hmm. you have a miscarriage, it's, it's, a you know, it's the loss of that attachment you have in addition to like the loss of a, a dream. Um, you know, you'd spent the last however many weeks dreaming and thinking of the future. And um, even though I knew I wasn't in a safe place yet, I was already looking at nursery stuff and registry stuff. And I, you know, there's just so much that you, that you lose and then telling people. And, and I did find it very um, therapeutic to talk about it though. Anybody who, who was, who checked in with me and anybody who would listen, I, I wanted to tell my story because it made me, it helped me feel like I was really validating my loss and letting people know how important it was to me was important. And that kind of helped me too. But mm. I think everybody has a personal journey with it too. Well, you're making a really good point because I think, and my mom and I have done shows about this. You, you're not just losing your pregnancy. You're losing the future you thought you were going to have. Like the, as soon as we get pregnant, we're, we're thinking nine months ahead. You're way ahead of the game. So you lose your future mm. and not, and the pregnancy. Yeah. And, you know, the one thing that you now too, now that I have four kids um, and I was very lucky afterwards to not have any, I had some other issues come up, but nothing like that. And, um, you know, we talk about the baby and we have a special ornament we put on the tree every year mm -hmm. at Christmas and they ask questions and I made a little scrapbook when it happened and I show them and um, it's really special. They actually ask me a lot of questions and they're very interested. So um, it is, you know, a really touching, it's always sad to think about, but I'm, it's very touching to, to share it with my children too. You know, what really comes up for me when you talk about that um, is that what a gift you're giving the children in letting them uh, have more empathy for other people and that kind of an understanding uh, because sometimes people are reluctant to talk about the losses and they don't realize that if they do talk about it, it really builds resist resilience for the kids and helps them to have empathy. Well, I wanted to ask you, what do you see as the most difficult thing for families in dealing with grief as a family unit? I, you know, it can range from person to person, but over the years, I think one of the most difficult things, of course, is the obvious, which is that isolation, just feeling like this is happening to you, but everybody else around you is moving forward, living life, not experiencing the pain, uh, not fully understanding that type of pain that you can be in. And until families start meeting other people and form a community of, you know, brief parents that they can go to, or at least some connections, it can just feel extremely isolating. And, um, I think I see that I hear that the most because, you know, people come to me at first when they first, um, experience the loss with just, you know, questions like, is it normal that I feel this way? And, you know, those typical questions, how, how am I going to survive this? Because, you know, of that traumatic nature of such a loss of, of losing a child. So, I, that would be one of my, and you know, I, again, it can range, but that's definitely one of the things that comes to mind when you ask that. So Jessica, you facilitate peer-to-peer -peer support groups virtually yes. for people that have lost children, yes. which I love because any, I mean, they're virtual. So people can join these groups and my mom and I have always talked about, and we know from firsthand experience, how important peer-to-peer -peer support is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, in the last few years, um, because everybody started using Zoom groups more in 2020, we we started creating more and more groups. And I do a grief book club, a grief writing group, um, two general grief support groups, and we're also starting a grief and resiliency group. So we just keep adding more groups, and they're going 
really well and our community is building because more parents are, are finding us and we're just finding that the virtual groups are really good way to reach people because we we're a national organization and we we don't do as much local stuff because we help parents in every state and this is for brain tumor this is for children's brain tumor foundation yes mm -hmm. specifically so yeah. uh, book club that's really interesting what kind of books do you read for book club so what we did was we had we we got tons of interest when i put this idea out there and i have maybe like 25 to 30 bereaved parents that are in the group and i gave people the opportunity to nominate books related to grief and self-care and people came back to me and then we voted on the books and we do six books at a time we're on our second cycle now um and we've it's been really nice we read the grief book for or the self-care book for about four to six weeks and then we get together on zoom and we discuss it and of course parents are welcome to join even if they haven't finished or read the book but it's been really nice and lots of interest and it, you know, it, it automatically goes into a support group type of discussion too, because we're talking about grief and we're relating to it. I, I'm kind of fascinated because um, with the internet, I mean, brain tumors, they're random around. You could live in a, a town and not have anybody else in a yeah. small town who had a brain tumor. So a child died of a brain tumor. And I think there's some specific issues connected with that. I would assume a lot of hospitalization. I don't know, you know, all the details, but there must be a lot that um, they have in common. And as far as peer support goes, they feel very connected with, and there's other, you know, times where they're, they're also connected with just parents who've lost a child to illness, but the brain tumor um, population is very specific because depending on where the brain tumor was, they can already be experiencing a lot of losses, a lot of changes before a death happens. So they've already been going through that. And then just watching what their child goes through and the intense treatment that many of them need and the surgeries, um, it's, it's really hard. So they do feel very bonded and connected to each other. How do you start to become resilient? I mean, does it, is there a starting point or what would you say to people out there that feel like they're, they want, they're ready to move in that direction? Just to be clear, the resiliency part is really focused on the functioning, the resiliency for functioning um, is where our focus really is. So mm -hmm. you know, getting out of bed in the morning. Yeah. And mm -hmm. um, being able to find those moments of joy and what can you do? Um, healthy distraction, all of those. And all, we're using skill sets um, taught by positive psychology too. And we never want to, you know, we always want to validate the pain of grief, of course. And we, and of course the mom I'm co-facilitating this with fully understands that there's um, certain things that we can't, you know, treat or change about grief. It's more of how can we live our fullest life possible while grieving and how can we get to that point and how can we help that process? I think, you know, really building, um, in general, anybody in life can always be building their resiliency already, um, before you go through. And if you've already gone through something, of course you can too, but, um, you know, just finding those things, those healthy distractions that make you, uh, feel joy already helps building that up and, and incorporating those habits into your life, whether it's, you know, exercise, music, yoga, whatever it is, doing what you can, setting aside time for yourself. And also um, with grief, taking a moment, um, you know, the whole mindfulness approach of, you know, letting your feelings come and flow through you and having time to focus on them. And also knowing when it's okay to distract yourself and not focus on them all day. Um, I think it's always a balance, right? Between, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there might be days where you just have to think about it all day and you can't get out of bed. I think eventually parents do come to the point where they tell themselves, okay, I'm going to take this time to grieve, but then I grieve, but then I need to 
get out of bed and keep moving forward or, or do something else or go to my healthy distraction. So, um, I think, you know, in connections, human connection is huge with resiliency, mm-hmm. peer um, support. Yeah. Peer support. And also just having relationships in your life that bring you joy. And, um, if you can have those before, you know, if you have a community build up that always seems to help parents, of course, there's going to be people who offer the type of support that they like more than others do. But, um, in general, just, I think, you know, human connection, they always say, right, is one of the biggest uh, parts of life that that can keep you going. Through the- I, I love that, Jessica. And I heard something once which helped me. I always thought everybody needed to show up and give me support the way that I wanted it mm-hmm. in talking about my brother and validating, acknowledging and being there. But we have some friends out there that are there to distract us and to be fun yeah, and to play with us and to give us a break from our grief. So people serve different reasons. And you also said something which my mom and I are always talking about. It's a balance. It's like we want to validate and acknowledge how painful and horrible it is to lose a child and a sibling and a grandchild. But yet we also want to have people hold on to hope that things will shift a little bit and get a little easier. So it's kind of like a dance we're constantly doing, right? Back and forth with the validation Mm -hmm. and then moving towards resilience, but validating how hard it is. And finding a new normal. Yeah. And, and we'll say not just a child who losing a spouse. We're talking about yes. family grief. That's huge because if you lose a spouse, your kids lose a parent. And, you know, yeah. it's a, a big, you know, big picture for everybody. So uh, this resilience. Yeah. I, I think one thing that's important too is to learn. Well, I found for myself in both my son's death and my husband's death is to let other people help you. I mean, I've had to learn that over time. I think particularly when you're younger, you're used to helping other people and doing it. And when you've had a loss, you want to feel like you're really competent. Mm-hmm. And I found that I became even uh, when my son died, I was teaching at the University of Rochester and I became uh, almost like doing more than I'd ever done before. You know, it was like, I've got to show that I can keep it together, that, I, you know, I've got it together. So I think you have to be careful that you don't become overconfident, that you don't overwork, that you don't overshow people, oh, I can do the shopping. You don't need to pick my kids up. You know, I can take care of my family or, you know, my my husband's not here, but I can take care of all the finances. I can do everything rather than that, letting people help you. I mean, just having somebody hold your baby or something, you know, come over and play with my kids for an hour. I mean- just yep. those small things and people want to do it, but sometimes you mm-hmm. do have to sometimes ask for it. Yeah. Those little small things can become very hard, especially, you know, that first, you know, the first few years sometimes, and especially of course the first few weeks and months. And um, it's, it's definitely okay to let people come in and help you. And that's a really great point. Mm-hmm. And ask. Yep. And if people are listening, who've had a family member who's had a death, just go do some things, go show up. This comes up all the time in our groups. Like what happens when a friend isn't there for you in the way that you want them to be, but they're a really good friend and you don't want them, Mm -hmm. you know, to be out of your life. And uh, we talk about how we can respectfully communicate with these people too, because some people just really do want to know how can they help and they don't know what to do. And some people are nervous. They might be thinking, am I going to be intrusive? If I show up at their door, am I going to, are they going to be annoyed with me if I call and try to support them? And you know, some people really do want to help, but they just kind of don't know um, what to do. And there are times where I think communication, respectful communication can help 
um, and telling people what you need and how you're feeling. Um, and it might yeah. not work for everybody depending on, you know, the personality, the friend, um, individual things, but, but some people have had success in doing that and have kind of saved relationships or felt less angry afterwards. So I think that's really important, Jessica, because sometimes we do, like you said, have to teach people how to be good grief support. I mean, people aren't psychic. And, you know, sometimes we expect them to kind of know, can't they read our body language? Don't they know what I want? But a lot, some people don't know. And like you said, they want to show up for us in the right ways, but they're not sure how, and they don't want to be too intrusive. And so I, I like that point of telling people what you need. Yeah. And people are always uh, raised differently to, too, in terms of how to deal mm -hmm. with grief. Um, yeah. Some people have been more open about it in their families and some people have not. So that can also you know, put them in a confused spot when they're trying to support somebody else who's grieving because they might not know how to handle it. And I have to say it, but some people are toxic. There That's may be some people you won't want to see for a while or, yeah. you know, boundary down and you, you can't handle it, you know, and there you lose friends. I, yeah. I think you probably lost some friends, didn't you, Heidi, that weren't supportive? Yes, because some of my friends felt like I should be over it in a pretty short period of time and you don't get over a loss you learn to live with it and they they wanted me to return to the old Heidi really quickly and they weren't tolerant of the fact that it takes a long time to grieve when you've lost your brother it's a process when to set the boundary mm -hmm. and knowing you know what you can and can't handle and what's okay what's good for you and your grief process yeah. so yes mm -hmm. exactly that exact situation comes up and is talked about all the time yeah, family. you know, my husband died uh, three years ago, and um, I was dating, and uh, I had people who couldn't handle it. So, you know, there are couples I know, or people who were loyal to my husband, who felt like mm -hmm. this wasn't what I should be doing. So they were making judgments for me, and I think we have to be careful. We have to grieve and do what we do. Absolutely. Yep. Well, there was friends that you lost that were your that you were friends with as a couple. But yeah. Once you became someone that was widowed and single, they were no longer. They never. They didn't show up for you, right? The way yeah. that they used to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hard. It's hard to deal so, with. Oh, uh, if you had some advice to give to people who recently had a loss and family members, what would it be? Um, wow. I mean, there's so many tips I could share that I've learned over the years. Um, but I think you know having, doing whatever reading that you can do or talking to a professional or just talking to other people who've been through it so that you can have realistic expectations for yourself to not put so much pressure on yourself and to not let other people put pressure on you. Um, the majority of the time, what you're going through is, is typical and expected. Um, it's just an extremely hard loss many times, um, to kind of know what you're your limits are. And, you know, if you feel like you can't function, um, that's when you seek support and also to seek those, like I said, those human connections, the people that can bring you joy and be there for you in different ways, like Heidi said, um, to find other people who've been through it. Um, that's always my number one piece of advice because I've I've heard, I mean, since 2004, I've been working for brief families and that's always their number one, almost always the number one thing they say is talking to other parents who've been through it or talking to other people mm -hmm. who've been of loss. Um, so, I mean, I do see, you know, there's, I have, I work with some parents and some of them are are just trying all kinds of different support to see what works for them. And that would be another really good tip I have is um, 
you know, sometimes talking is not for everybody. Sometimes therapy is not for everybody. Sometimes support groups, not for everybody, but try different things and find what is helpful to you. Because if you can find that, that's how you can meet your community and get that support that you personally need. That's great. Well, how do people find you? Um, so I work for Children's Brain Tumor Foundation. So if you've experienced the loss of a child to a brain or spinal cord tumor, you can always reach out to me or to anybody in our foundation. Um, and as a private therapist, I work for uh, Revive Counseling and Wellness in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I'm on their website. And do you do uh, online? Um, yeah, I can do online. Yep. Well, thank you, Jessica, for all the work you're doing. It's amazing. And good luck with that big family. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you so much for talking today and for having me. Thanks so much, Jessica. And thank you for everything that you're doing for grieving families. Thank you, Heidi. Thanks for all of your support. And we want to thank everybody for joining us on this show. And Heidi and I always want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. And God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation, where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.